0: You're listening to Opacity, podcast about working in design. How's it going, Craig?
1: Good. How are you doing today, Tom?
0: I'm doing fantastic.
1: Welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've recorded.
0: Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. I suppose both of us have been busy and we try and fit this in around our schedules when we can. So uh, We do, we do. We're a bit
1: lax, but uh, you know it's a relaxed podcast, so that's that's how we do it. Quality. Um, quality over quantity. Yeah. Speaking of relaxed and chill, we have a, a very relaxed guest. Uh, with us today, we do indeed. We do. He's uh, got his feet kicked up in Valencia, Spain, uh, living the good life. And he's, of course, uh, Mr. Mendigas. Mendigas, I was going to say your last name, Petruitis.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Got it. Nailed, nailed yes.
1: it. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, Mendigas is a is a is an epic individual that that I've known for. A little over, well, actually almost exactly three. I think it'll be three years in November. Wow, uh, We'll really? have to celebrate our anniversary of, of of that that first tweet I sent out and you responded to um, that, that oh, nice. kicked off our friendship. What tweet was that? It was the tweet where I said, I actually should probably find what it said, but it basically was like, uh, I'm thinking of moving to Ireland. Uh, is there like a design scene in Ireland? I had no idea what the design or tech scene was like in, in Ireland. And I don't know if it was about Dublin specific or not. Um, and yeah, I put that tweet out there and, uh, Mindegas was one of the, the few people who responded and it kicked off a, a slew of things that eventually led me to pack up my entire family and move across the ocean. Uh, I blame Mindigas you know. fully for that.
0: Wow. Well done.
1: Yeah. Mendigas. Yeah, I guess we can to let have him, him I guess he we would... can let him say something now. Yeah. Mendigas, welcome.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was yeah. Uh, a nice intro. I'm not to blame for anything. I was helping. You were helping. Blame, and you were helping dreaded, and, Whatever it is, yeah. And no, you were helping.
1: Uh, and I guess it's kinda of how we tie that to a little bit of, of the context for this episode. You helped me as a as a recruiter. Uh, you had your own recruitment uh, service. And so you definitely had interests, I guess, in, in responding to my tweet. You had business interests in helping Money. me out. Um, but yeah, so that's how, we, that's how we originally met is you were helping me try to find a job and you actually did help me find a job. Didn't you? Exactly. Look at that.
0: So, so how did that come about? Oh, just uh, how did you get into the business and how did you come? Because Mindigas, yourself, you're from Lithuania originally. Yeah, indeed. So how did you end up in Ireland and how did you end up in the recruiting business?
2: That's a story to tell, you got to go back a few years, but no, I left, I left Lithuania, I think 2001, I lived in Galway for a couple of years first, Um, I then packed up and moved somewhere sunnier to the Canary Islands, Lanzarote. I thought
1: you were going to say sunnier, moved to Dublin.
2: (laughs) Nah, (laughs) Um, I spent a few years there uh, working in bars, restaurants, uh, then moved to London for a couple of years then back to Lanzarote again, um, and then to Dublin and now to Valencia. So yeah, I've been around. And
0: what, and what got you, what brought you towards like, what got you into the recruiting side of things? So specifically design.
2: Sure. Um, so again, that you have to go back a few years. Um, when I moved to London in like 2005, I think it was, um, most of my skills were hospitality, you know, bar work, restaurant work. And when I had a look at what, uh, uh, say an hourly rate was in London in a pub, uh-huh. uh, it was clear I couldn't survive on that living in, in a city like London. So what I did, I, I did, a this little exercise that I still suggest people do is just wrote out, you know, things that I think I'm good at, um, and just did a search online on those keywords to see what kind of jobs might pop up. And one of those was recruitment. Um, so I kind of was like, okay, sounds interesting. I like working with people. um, could be good. Had a look at how do I get into recruitment. It required, you know, uh, maybe a year to two years sales experience so i just got a job at the sales company i remember like back in those days <laughs> we were just ringing people up uh it was like an office supplies company we were ringing people up and just trying to get the buyer's name and send them a catalog and i worked my way, way up there a little bit um stayed there for about 18 months and then just applied to a bunch of recruitment jobs and got a couple of offers and yeah worked in construction recruitment for a little while before moving back to lanzarote then
1: it's interesting like recruitment uh, and and we'll get, like, I guess just to make a note of you're not in recruitment anymore, and we'll get mm. maybe into more, talk about that and, and what you're doing now and how that, that applies as well. But sort of interesting to stay on this topic for a little bit. I think, like, recruiters get a bad rap, I think, uh, probably in a lot of industries, but I think in particular design or within tech or something. Like, I've always had a general positive relationship with recruiters. I find that, like, it's... It's sort of a, you kind of have somebody in your court sort of advocating for you. I guess in the best case scenario, like obviously there's like all of the, the recruiters that are sort of sending out blanket messages or whatever that are completely irrelevant to you and everything you stand for. Uh, but like, you know, it's generally, I've had positive interactions with recruiters over the years, found that they've actually helped me uh, like think about, think about myself, think about my... Uh, strengths and weaknesses, or I don't know, i probably overdoing it a bit. But like, it's good to have somebody to, to bounce stuff off of, you know?
2: Yeah, that's what a good recruiter should do.
1: Curious how you feel about like the bad rap, considering that you were in a role, or, you know, focused years of your life doing this job. And I think, well, from what I know, trying to make it a little bit better.
2: Yeah, I think, honestly, recruiters do get a bad rap but my view always was it it often um and having worked you know for some agencies myself uh, it's not often the individual recruiter it's often the the way the agency wants you to work the KPIs that are set for you and kind of not allowing you to have your own individual style um and i was kind of lucky enough that my last job before setting up my own thing in Dublin, they did allow me to have my own style. So, you know, back in those days, say a few years ago, the KPI, one of the KPIs was you have to spend three hours on the phone. Um, Per day? Per day. So, but my view to that, it's like, what if I can achieve the same goal by spending zero time on the phone? Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't the hitting the goal is not the point of what we're doing here? So, mm-hmm. what, what that forces people to do is just to spam and ring you, you know, while you're sitting at work at your desk next to your boss in a designer review with your whole team. Your phone rings and somebody's like, Hey, do you want a job? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it just so if you think about how many recruiters there are in the world, how many jobs there are in the world, and you know, people hiring. That's why people, I think, get a bad rep uh, mm-hmm. because they're kind of forced to do these quite, I think, unnatural things that just repeated, repeated over and over again without even thinking. Like, is this the right way of doing it? But I think in the last couple of years, you've seen a bit of a shift to maybe more specialized um, recruitment firms who are, you know, um, maybe no even know the topic that or understand the field that they're working in, which again wasn't the case back in the day. You're not allowed. Um, you don't have, you're not given the time to do it hmm. so I think the shift is happening
0: yeah, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about um, when Craig was mentioned about the recruiter helping them like organize themselves or, or how, how to present themselves how to think about how they talk about themselves well and you said that's what a good recruiter does could you expand on that a little bit
2: sure kind of my uh, I guess way of working was uh, again often the customer is also part of the problem, so the client, the hiring company, because what they're used to doing historically is, well, I'm paying you for the service. Here's a job description. You go find me some people. Mm -hmm. What often is on that job description is not enough information uh, for me to go and find those people or even, you know, give uh, give the candidate enough, some extra details. Um, So... My way of working was i wouldn't i try i would try not to work with anyone who wouldn't give me the extra time to find out a little bit more about you know one the company the team um a little bit more about the role but also the interview process so if you have that information, it becomes much easier to then prepare the candidate for success because you as the candidate will have those extra questions you know what are they gonna ask on 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 the first day or on the on the phone screen down to sometimes even matching people by hearing them mentioning similar things or similar interests you know uh, it becomes much easier to prepare someone uh, to do well in an interview
0: and you, and you mentioned that you so you you're, you you start up as a design recruiting agency specific to designers and then previously or in the past you worked for construction yeah. When I hear that, first, those two kind of fields of professionalism. I suppose they kind of don't remake, really or you know, are there similarities there? Or I'd love to hear, you know, what drew you to both, or or do you find yeah. similarities between them?
2: I think yeah. I think it's, it's funny that you asked. That. I, I was I literally for some reason it popped into my head this morning. Uh, you know, working in in the construction and how much I enjoyed it. Where before I discovered design, I used to. Uh, have to fill different kinds of roles, like project managers, business analysts, software developers, um, whatever. And I never kind of found that curiosity or that want to know more or that, you know, deeper connection beyond just saying, hey, do you want a job? But with construction, I found myself Like Honestly, I used to go into, um, I remember going into a hospital being built, a 40 million pound hospital in Brighton. And I saw the building, you know, midway through the build when it was still a huge building site. And then I was allowed in uh, just before the opening. Like I was one of the only people to see this beautiful new building um, before it opened. And I think it's the visual aspect of of. Of it that i i find the connection with mm. is i can see the output of the work that these people that i'm trying to hire uh do right mm. and it was the same thing with me with designers Um, you know when i was hiring all those different roles somebody asked me to help them with a couple of design roles and i spoke to a couple of designers and you know i was told hey you need to ask for a portfolio i didn't really know knew what a designer did at the time and there i am looking and i think it may have been someone who had worked on Ryanair, so it's like a brand I recognized immediately mm-hmm. and they're showing me their portfolio, they're showing me all the steps, you know, and obviously the they're documented, described the process and I'm reading this and my mind was just blown. I was like, This is so cool because it's also relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize the brand, I use it. Um and ever since then I was just, you know, I was just hooked. I was like, That's the, the people I wanna kind of work with and, mm-hmm. and deal with.
1: Is there any kind of like secret sauce? that you found uh you know trying to place people in jobs like curious to know from the inside like what's a good candidate from like from a somewhat well I don't know if you're unbiased as a recruiter because you obviously have a bias to fill the role Mm. um but like obviously you want to probably link up the right person with the right role as a sort of outsider in the in the engagement Mm. um curious is there any like secret sort like the if you could think of like any candidates who were just like super hireable like what what made them that you know or like uh, even in the converse what like what destroys
2: candidates you know what i never looked at candidates that way funnily enough uh and this is why i could never be uh what's considered a successful recruiter you know someone that bills whatever like a million a year or something like that that just is not me because for me it's it's quality over quantity and in order for me to achieve that quality was to get uh the only way to do it was to get to know both sides really really well um and if you um if if you know Might say, my first call with a candidate who I've seen come across somewhere or somebody introduced me to, and I've looked at their CV portfolio, when I'm talking to them on that first call, I I would ask, you know, certain questions. And then as they're telling me uh, what they want to do or, you know, all that kind of stuff, I start kind of uh, knowing the roles and the companies that are hiring that are potentially suitable. I start kind of uh, eliminating some of them, right, Mm -hmm. that I don't feel they're suitable. And then what you end up is ideally with one or two that when you tell them about it, they're going to go, yes, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So there it's already half the battle. Instead of just spamming, you know, their name and their CV to a load of random ones and hoping one sticks, you've just not only maximize your opportunity or your, your chance of filling that role, but also knowing that this person will likely enjoy working there. Right. Because to me, that was the magic sauce, but that is not a scalable approach really.
1: It makes me think of like, I'm, I'm imagining like a beautiful mind, kind of like web of things where you have candidates and roles, and skills and it's just like mapping things together and then like you're sitting there looking at it you know rubbing your temple thinking like how do i place these candidates and then like something just pops out and there's a role and a candidate or something and it's just like (laughs) oh like a holy grail and it just it descends and then you like call up the client like i got i got the one for you and then you send them over is that how it works
2: kind of, like a little bit honestly um a, a little bit and and you you know it used to be like this kind of real interesting feeling when you when you think like okay I think this person is gonna like this role and they're gonna like him and then it happens uh but it is like i said it's a lot of work to get to that point um so many would consider that not being a successful approach but to me i enjoyed it because mm-hmm. you know, like I was saying earlier, um, people—a bunch of those people that I worked with—are still in those roles, uh, which is crazy to me. Like, it's considering how how often people move in tech, in tech, I think it's like gone down to an average to two and a half years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They stay in a company. There's people that've been there four and five years.
0: That's, that must be very satisfying, actually. Mm-hmm. The way you're ta- the way you're explaining it there, it, was also, it almost sounds like. Like an like almost like an artisanal baker or something was coming to my head, like you know someone who's just like just cares so much, like cares more about the quality of what they're doing, and they get the the enjoyment and the motivation over making this this small, not like a, a small batch of things, where other people might be like, what are you doing? Like just lash them out, like make loads of money, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't know if a baker's the best solution there. No, the that's best, that's a good analogy. Men- so you were
1: you were an artisanal recruiter. how's your bacon you were like a a pour-over handmade crafty artisanal recruiter
0: yeah and so you're not you're not in recruiting anymore and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you invested a lot yourself in there was there a reason why you decided to move on from from that line of work
2: well um it just led me to an interesting point where when when i did set up my own thing like it was very much on a whim. Uh, I had no money, you know starting out. I knew uh, You know very clearly in my head that it most likely wouldn't work out, but I knew that it would Very likely lead me to something interesting. So I think I went into it with a very good mindset I wasn't too upset when it was like time to pull the plug on it it led me to discovering the company I'm working for now you know, one of the big aspects of the role I had within recruitment was the community aspect of it. So, you know, I got involved heavily with the community. To me, that was like a 50-50 nearly, you know, being or doing the role of a recruiter uh, was 50% of your time investing in actually doing the job, but also 50% of investing in the community and spending your time uh, doing that. So, when I decided to kind of shut, shut up shop, um, I wanted to go somewhere where I categorically didn't want to lose the touch with the community. Hmm. And when I looked at, you know, where that could be, Envision turned up to be, you know, the place um, and also nice. gave me kind of an opportunity where, you know, I was mostly kind of within the Irish design community. Now it was like, well, global or you know now I'm focusing on more EMEA um, or Europe even but it's still uh, kind of expanded those horizons quite a lot but um, yeah it it just kind of led me down this path.
0: There are aspects of it that you kind of do have this and you have that but like what would how would you explain your the role that you do right now?
2: It's kind of a unique role I guess um, a little bit because I do a lot of different things and I enjoy all of them And it can be sometimes uh, the context switching can be very, very tough, Mm. but still enjoyable. Um, So I go from, say, organizing things like design leadership dinners, so private kind of intimate, you know, dinners around Europe, uh, say 15 to 20 design leaders, we get together, we talk about common challenges, successes, people walk away with some uh, new friends and and maybe some actionable insights that they can put into practice the next day uh, to then um, talking to community organizers um, around uh, Europe and the world actually and just seeing you know uh, Trying to support some of their initiatives so sponsoring some meetups um, To then I recently started giving some talks. So that's another thing um and, um, we also sponsor third-party kind of conferences. So think UXDX and we sponsored joint futures in Helsinki, uh, last month where I happened to be making, uh, cocktails in the green room for the speakers for two days, because I have that experience and I happened oh, nice. to, to blurt it out that, Hey, why don't we, uh, treat our speakers to some cocktails? So amazing. there's... A lot of things, but one of the things i I think the the one of the most things I enjoy is still just connecting people so because I still you know speak to so many people every single day um doesn't necessarily have to be that somebody's hiring or looking for a job, but it could just be that two people that I've met at certain points should know each other, so mm-hmm. I still send a lot of intros uh which is i think for me that's one of my favorite things to do
1: yeah it's a cool progression like it feels like i mean you know in one sense it's like looking back it's always easy to sort of make sense of things but it does seem like it uh kind of the way you approach recruiting from what i know talking to you now but talking to you in general and the way that you're now in a role that's community focused where you're you're jumping around talking to different members of the community giving talks doing all that kind of stuff uh Like it feels like it's, it's almost a, it's a better expression of maybe what you were trying to do as a recruiter in a way, Yeah. maybe at least from me, uh, psychoanalyzing your own career, (laughs) which I'm not qualified to do.
2: No, no, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's correct. And, and the funny thing is we have customers, so, you know, they're all in design, uh, they are all hiring. So I still often get hit up. I'm still making a ton of intros, stuff that I was doing before, except now I don't have to worry about getting paid for making those intros, right? Um, I don't get as emotionally invested uh, or don't have those kind of highs and lows of going through placing someone or going through that journey, but I still get the enjoyment and the pleasure of saying... Or speaking to someone, I still get people reach out to me and say, hey, like, I'm, you know, looking for a new role. Maybe, you know, someone. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I just spoke to the head of design at This and that, you know, um, mm. you guys should talk. And I, I just make an intro. And then if something cool happens from the back of that, I get a little, you know, kind of sense of pleasure.
0: So you mentioned when you're talking there about as a recruiter, there were highs and there were lows. Are there any particular examples that kind of are moments that. Or memories that kind of stand out yeah as, as, as being either highs or lows
2: yeah there's there's definitely a few i think um and and that's what i think what i meant by when you when you're focusing on on more quality over quantity that means that you're then spending a lot more time or you're investing a lot more time into those candidates and it's just natural like you're two humans uh to to just get to know each other better because you know, one of my approaches—I prefer to meet people for a coffee, or you—you you end up mixing in the same community, and you know, conversations often go beyond the job or whatever it is. The interview process—you get to know uh, their family situation and all those kind of things. So, all of those things start playing on your mind when you're bringing them through that journey. Um, mm. And and you know, there was someone who. Uh, had moved to Dublin from Croatia. You know, I placed her in a great company. She was super happy. Uh, but six, I think it was six or seven months later, I get a call saying, like, uh, I'm I'm in trouble because uh, my team is being moved out of the country. You know, uh, my only option to stay in there is to move. But I just signed uh, a lease on an apartment mm-hmm. in Dublin. Like, I physically you know cannot move um so it was that whole thing of like we just went through this high together like a few months ago where she was super happy um and now it's like shit i need to help her uh yeah. again right or i need to help her out and and move very quickly to to try and try and help fix the situation which we did and it worked out really well but again it's it's the one thing i really don't miss is, is those those highs and lows as i mentioned
0: yeah fair play to you that's great like you, that's when it, when, you, when you think about recruiters i think often yeah you, you're saying we've got a bit of a bad rep but uh like that sounds like going above and beyond that sounds like someone like you know you're emotionally invested in someone's story and their life um yeah that's that's actually great to hear fair play to you
1: tell have you ever worked with a recruiter
0: have you ever worked with a recruiter I've i've dealt with some recruiters when I looking to change roles and that kind of thing but like
1: are they like in-house recruiters or are they external a independent recruiters
0: a mixture um yeah. most of them that i like i haven't actually spoke to a lot of them i, I like you know uh, we're in a pretty desirable industry so it get hit up by a lot of messages and stuff from linkedin but most of the time i'll just kind of politely turn them down you know because a lot of the time i wouldn't be in the position that i wanted to move so, um, the but there has been the odd time where I would, you know, or it hasn't happened that very often. That I've been, I've, I haven't moved that r- around many jobs over the years. But um, the ones that I have dealt with, like I have to say, it's a, it's a pretty positive experience as well. Like we want to, for most part, um, I can't actually think of any bad experiences. Maybe I've just been lucky, um, but yeah, I I think this, you know, when I was dealing with. Though more the kind of agency recruiters it's it's a bit different to in-house recruiters for mm. product teams i think they seem to be that seems to be uh like a different beast i suppose it's a bit more like you're they're they're part of the culture of the company and they kind of they need to embody that culture of the company as well so they tend to be less business you know like all business and more like here's our great company and like you know and really really trying to not not really trying to like but really just Trying to yeah, I suppose trying to embody the values of the company because, like, I'm sure it makes sense. You don't want to tr- trick people into, into joining somewhere that if they find out it's not the way it is that you know then they leave. So yeah, you want from 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 what I understand like the recruiters that I have dealt with they kind of I think they I've got the I got the 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 sense that they got that and they want to get the right people. They don't just want to get they don't want to take a box especially in-house because I think it's a bit different mm-hmm. if you're in the company and you're hiring people into the company, you're staying there. So it doesn't make, it's a little bit different with like a, I don't know how it works with agencies, but if you're, you know, you may work with, with hire someone for one role and never deal with that company again, you know, so you're not as much mo- emotionally invested. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty positive experiences. Well, I suppose I, I've been lucky enough that I hadn't, haven't needed someone to like do what you did and, you know, bail me out and are trying to trying keep me in the country. Like, you know.
1: Interesting. Uh, Mindigas, you know, sometimes in this podcast we talk about existential crises. Uh, mm. Probably more on my side of the desk. Um, curious from your involvement because you've been a recruiter. Now you're with Envision and by, but you have to tell us what Envision does. I haven't actually heard of the company Envision. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so Mindigas, I want to get your take. As you know, listening to all of our episodes, that we get into sometimes existential crises about. Uh, being a designer and what it means to be a designer and all that stuff overthinking things I'm curious from your view as a previously as a recruiter and now working more kind of across the board with the community probably focused in Europe in particular like are there things that you just always see within the community that like people are struggling with or people are lacking or like is there like when you have gone and give talks or you go to like various like meetups in different countries like is there are there common threads that you've started to pick up or picked up over the years that like speak to just like the, today's digital designer
2: and our struggles? Sure. I think, um, how do I sum this one up? Uh, I think there's just too much noise, right? And, uh, I think for me, the design community, uh, has been the nicest, kind of group of people I've dealt with consistently uh, for over the years. And it's sometimes when you open up Twitter, unfortunately, it doesn't reflect that. And I think it's a shame because I think it's it's given the wrong perception to some of the maybe uh, more junior folks coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's just... I think the social media kind of aspect and that noise is is uh, it's not great. Um, it doesn't affect me because I know what's what. I've been around you folks for a long time um, and I've had nothing but great experiences. Um, so I think I see a lot of, you know, especially more junior people kind of questioning, uh, the industry or the community sometimes a little bit amongst themselves Um, because they don't they don't they can't really tell what's true and what's not like are these people actually so mean like the more experienced people as you kind of see from design Twitter uh, Mm -hmm. or or is that not the case and then um, amongst more kind of design leaders uh, it's it's a really interesting one because technically design is still such a new industry. And when you get a bunch of design leaders in a room, and that's kind of one of the things I do um, in in my role, is very quickly bonds emerge over the fact that, hey, there's someone else facing the same struggles as I am. Um, And I love to see it because as much as some people may be put on a pedestal saying like, Well, you're a VP at this company. You all must know what the hell you're doing and what you're talking about. When you put them in a room with a bunch of people in the same position, everyone's everyone's on the same level. Mm. And it's it's really nice to see. Um, no one has an ego. I haven't come across anyone with an ego yet, which mm. is, you know, great. So that's kind of two things I guess that I would mention as as an outsider, as you know, a non designer.
0: Yeah, social media. I think that's there's something to that where you're a lot of time. There's a comp- there's a compulsion to put up things that are what's the word? Oh, it's maybe pr- provocative. Like you want to get some kind of interaction. So you're not like you don't get interaction from saying like mundane average things that that happen sometimes you do but like you're likely you know hot takes or you know this is broken the way this is done is broken you know these kind of statements uh like kind of over the top statements and sometimes they i take your point that you can see that you're like wow that person just seems really angry they're just complaining about stuff all the time but they're probably not like they're just trying to get trying to get some engagement trying to put stuff out maybe maybe they are partial like that but maybe to work with them wouldn't be uh, like a difficult or uh you know, an off-putting kind of work environment.
2: I think there's a difference though between being provocative, like it's, that's fine. But I think when, what what I was referencing more to, you know, people share their work. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you read some of the comments that are just downright right. mean for like literally no reason whatsoever, there's, yeah. no, there's no constructive criticism. Fine if you're giving some criticism, constructive criticism to someone, yeah. especially if they're like new to the role, new to the industry, whatever. Um that's cool, help them out. But like don't be mean with no context behind it because that's just, you know, it affects people and especially the newer you know, the newer generation. Mm-hmm. So that to me I really dislike seeing that. Um and I think like I said, it just gives the wrong perception because that's just one percent of the rest of the design community. Because um if you reach out to say you or you know, Tom or Craig or any person in design, your likelihood, you know, you're going to hear a positive response and you know, you ask for help, you're going to get it. That's been my experience and that's been the experience of some of the younger designers that I've mentored over the last few years. Mm. Um, But sometimes when you see that online, it it doesn't reflect the reality. Mm.
1: Changing gears. I want to talk about dream jobs. Sure. Um, Tom, do you have a dream job?
0: Hosting a podcast with you. <laughs> nice. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you can retire now. You've, you Live made it. a dream. Yeah, that's, you've that's, got a, a you've got a dream bigger. Tom. That's my me- that's <laughs> my measure of success. I'm like an artisanal baker with this <laughs> podcast. You know, it's the, it's, the, <laughs> it's the quality of it, no matter how successful it is. Um, we've talked about my like our experiences getting to design and recently gave a talk at glug where i kind of had to like like i do think about the path that i made that i took to get where i am now and i'm very happy where i am i feel very lucky to be in this role like i I regularly kind of pinch myself but do you believe
1: in the concept of a dream job
0: of a dream job um i don't know It, it depends like i think I, from what I've what I've experienced and what I've seen from other people, I think you could be in your dream job but not really realize it because you. I think we're very quick to acclimatize to situations and kind of just take things for granted and forget about how how things were. You know, so it's um. Sometimes, you, you know, if you if you step back five years or even or further or whatever and looked at where and someone told you, like they showed you that this is the role you're going to be in now in five years time, you know, or 10 years time or whatever, and you'd be like, holy shit, like, no way, you know, but now it, because you kind of inch there over the over the years. Um, it doesn't have that kind of big bang wow effect you've just kind of acclimatized to it you get used to it you get you know as you go as you become more senior and your whatever salary goes up and your benefits and the quality of the work you're doing and all that and sometimes it's very easy to be so acclimatized to that that you don't remember what it could be like and i remember i like i think about it quite a bit actually like i feel very lucky about it hmm. so i'm gonna say my dream job is where i am what I'm doing now and I'm going to, my dream,
1: my dream will grow and continue to grow. It sounds like a very political answer. It's like your next job five years now now is my dream job or your, maybe it's not political, maybe it's just optimistic. You're just, you're just an optimist. I'm
0: an optimist. What can I say?
1: You always look on the bright side. Do you believe in dream jobs,
2: Um, I can only talk from personal experience uh, and I would say no, because you you just you don't know what it like you don't know what it might be mm-hmm. right um but that's just kind of my own uh my own experience, how I've approached you know the last few years and how I've ended up where I am now um so like in the moment, yeah, you can say like this is a a dream job um but again i- i you know i I'd never heard of Envision a couple of years before I joined the company mm-hmm. um so you couldn't say well, five years ago, you know I graduated and you know I set my sights on this industry or this company or whatever it was, and I worked my way towards it towards that mm-hmm. dream job. it was just I just kind of discovered it by chance mm-hmm. um so i I guess yeah in a sense i I wouldn't believe in the in the idea of it mm.
0: That's a good answer. Wait, can I change mine? <laughs> no, you, no, you already said it. Done. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know, I just don't. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of on the same page. Like, I feel like you can have like dream moments or dream days, but that's just like, a day that went really well could be like, yeah, today at work was really good. But then you have other days where it's just not good. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, like, what makes a dream job a dream job? Mm-hmm. And is it like you have creative freedom or you get paid a shit little money, or you have a fancy title, like, like, with a fancy title, and with a lot of money comes probably not much creative freedom, probably comes a lot of, uh, like, a lot of weight on your shoulders, which maybe wouldn't make a dream job. Maybe it's more of a dream job to just be uh, a musician in the woods, who just, you know, sits on the bank of a river, and looks at the leaves and writes songs all day. Like, that sounds like a dream job to me. But mm-hmm. um, but it's not a very practical dream job like I was a I could have gone a music route but like I chose not to because I know the life of a full-time musician is difficult um and it may be probably better to to go a career that I could get a salary and and have like a somewhat stable life and have a family and things Mm. um not to say you can't do that as a musician but I probably couldn't Mm. um so it's like what is at the end of the day what's a dream job
0: yeah, good point. Like on that point, actually, I don't really, I never really think about it as a dream job. Really, just the f- the fact that you posed that question to me. But I I think it's very hard because it's a move. It seems like a moving target, uh, unless it's something very clear. And like if you're say like like an Olympic athlete or something, and their dream, the dream job or whatever the dream moment of that job is like winning the Olympics at this thing. And then when they reach, it's a very clear. I've reached this point and I've done it, and then I've got the accolades to show it. Like. But I don't, I think most careers are not like that, but there are a series of ups and downs and and improvements and like that, you are kind of, you know, you grow with them and you don't really, re- you need to take stock sometimes or someone needs to actually go, you know what, you're really lucky, jeez, I can't believe that's your job. And you you have to just kind of stop yourself and go, oh yeah, jeez. Or you complain about something like first world problems and you, you talk to someone else, you know, a friend who's working in a completely different industry or during a recession where they're out of work and you're like, holy shit, I'm actually... I, I was untouched by that. I'm very lucky with that, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, like I was saying, you know, I, I think w- what you were just saying, Tom, as well, uh, you change, right? As you're kind of you go through your career, you might have a certain idea. But to me, technically, your dream job uh, probably doesn't exist uh, mm-hmm. yet. Right. Um, just because you, you don't know, uh, you might set out to go one way, but you might end up doing something completely different. And like, uh, for me, I have uh, a certain goal right now that I'm working towards that 10 years ago, uh, if you had told me, I would say you're crazy, right? And it's it's opening a restaurant uh, in the next kind of four or five years to kind of being that being my retirement if you will hmm. um but when i first got into hospitality i was for some reason i was extremely scared of working in restaurants and carrying a train serving people food um, i was happy behind the bar um and once i you know kind of experienced the restaurant side of the world i just fell in love with it and that's something i want to do now um hmm. it, eventually so our bakery Mm, yeah or a bakery (laughs) i think you're leading me that way
0: (laughs) yeah i (laughs) know you just come across as someone who's be a good artisanal baker that's all i'm saying i'm
2: terrible at baking terrible at it Uh, i cook a nice fillet steak but that's about it deal
1: there's a, a yeah this kind of reminds me of a it's a book i'm reading actually called working identity I'm reading it for a course that I'm trying to create and trying to finish, trying to get out there, plug my course there. There's a concept in the book, and I'm just at the beginning, so I'm not very qualified to speak on it, but the idea of sort of testing and the idea of creating almost experiments to like test what you're really good at and what you really enjoy and that you incrementally get closer to what, I don't know, calling it a green dream job is probably not the thing. Um, But this is in opposition to the idea of like, Sitting in isolation and saying, "What should I be?" or like, "What should I become?" Um, and it's it's a much more active kind of approach to career change or career growth, where you're taking, you know, you're expanding opportunities. Like as opportunities present themselves, you expand to fill the to fill those you know holes, and and you learn about yourself in the process. And ideally, you get closer. You know, it's like I like that. I didn't like that. I like that. I didn't like that. And you sort of find your way, and you get sort of. Uh, sorted out Um, I mean hopefully you get sorted out uh, as as time goes and you sort of find yourself in a good a good niche Um, Mm. you know uh, (laughs) but I don't know it's an interesting concept and I like it's something I'm trying to wrap my head around too as I think about you know career progression and you know try to try to help others as well with that that same kind of struggle of, of career change or or breaking into this industry or whatever um, and how you need to think about that, because it's it's a, it's kind of it's a really hazy. It's really it's really opaque uh, at the moment. <laughs> Very good.
2: But yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a good book. I'd be interested in reading that because um, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of how I ended up in Dublin a little bit. You know, that was a conscious decision. I didn't want to move to Dublin. Like I, nothing. I love Dublin. Don't get me wrong. But I, I was in, right. Answer. I was in, Careful, I, was, I think I was, 50, 56% I
1: was, of our listeners uh, are in Dublin. So. Yeah,
2: but Just I was living anywhere. in the sun. I need you know, uh, I need the sun. Sun is good for my mental health. And, but where I was living, the trade-off was there were, there were many opportunities, right? So mm-hmm. once I kind of discovered this passion for restaurants, uh, I knew that living there, I was never going to make the money to be able to open one up myself so it was like okay well where can i go what can i do to kind of advance that uh possibility so mm-hmm. my girlfriend's from dublin so we moved there she didn't want to move back you know i was dragging her out of a sunny place back to back to dublin uh but i turned up there just with this kind of goal of like well i'm i'm gonna do something with myself here i don't know what it is Right. So I went back into I worked in Bono's hotel for three months. It was awful. Uh, but it, you know, uh, paid paid some bills for for a while. I went back into uh, a sales company for a little bit. Then I went back into recruitment once I built up my sales experience again. Mm-hmm. And kind of that's when I discovered design, discovered envision. So here I am now at this point. Hmm. right but when i arrived in dublin i think i had like a thousand euro in my pocket and i was like i'm screwed right i don't know what i'm gonna do here but just kind of taking those different opportunities then it kind of starts leading you somewhere Hmm. um so yeah that's
1: the that's the life though that's like i feel like that's a life well lived like i don't know I'm, i'm probably too young to say this but i would think looking back on your life like taking on those those things is is uh, is a good is a good way to live. Oh yeah, and like just like like it was sort of the 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 impetus for us to for me to move to Ireland with my family. It's like well why why not? Like I know you you conned me. You told me how, how <laughs> is, yeah, there we go. Is, is a land of opportunity, <laughs> and all my dreams will come true. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, mm-hmm. Get me lucky charms. Uh, hey, top of the morning. Careful now. <laughs> So, um, but, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the way to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, there's a, there's a thing I've been thinking about recently, um, of like how to approach life and it's like (sighs) approaching life, like, like a math equation where it's like, you have to solve it and you have to calculate it and figure out like the most like logical, practical way to get from A to B or like living your life, like an art project where it's just like, Got to throw a dab of paint on the canvas, and uh, and then you got to throw the next dab, and that's it. And like, it just builds on itself, and creates a beautiful piece of artwork at the end that we call life.
0: Or a total mess. Yeah. Or a total, yeah, mess,
1: total that's... mess. That sounds like me.
2: I'm I'm definitely the art project. Uh, no structure, no planning. <laughs> just uh, as you say, like I always say, why not? You know, yeah. uh, I'm very much when people say, no, you can't do this or you can't do something. I'm like, yeah, but why not? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Live live like a live, live life like a toddler where everything you'd sell them, it's either no or why. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but it's, it sounds like so you were saying you wanted a son. You've got like this romantic. It sounds like a romantic kind of. Goal to retire? Well, not retire, but like open a restaurant. And is it going
2: to be in Valencia?
0: where you are living <clears now>?
2: there. <throat> it my might be. Look, you know, <laughs> you know uh, if you asked me a few years ago, I'd probably say, yeah, you know, it's going to be here. But now I've learned that you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the move to Valencia was very much uh, was not planned. Kind of uh, from the outset, it just kind of happened, mm. but. Yeah, it 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 will be somewhere definitely sunny because uh, <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna give that up. But it could be who knows. Hmm.
0: To hablas español? Sí. sí claro. Muy, muy bien. <laughs> that's you that's have the to.
2: extent of Tom's
1: Spanish. Pretty. It
0: is pretty much a. That's a shadow for some of the, my Spanish-speaking colleagues that I'm always messing with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, guys, I think it's been a good chat. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's a good place to to wrap it up. I Minigas, mean, thank you so much for joining us. I think we may have to invite you back for round two <laughs> at some point. Sure. <laughs> I think I said that. Thanks for guess. having me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when you open that restaurant. When you open that restaurant, making those
1: artisanal uh, design rolls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> design rolls. There you go. Artisanal you go. design nice. rolls. Yeah. Very good. There you go. Uh, uh, good dad joke Mindegas where can if people want to connect with you what's the best way to do that I'd say Twitter what's your twiddle Twitter at, handle
2: at L-T. Um, how do you spell that M-I-N-D-A U-G-A-S L-T cool alright or find me on LinkedIn
1: mm-hmm. cool well thanks yeah Mindigas. it's been really great been good to chat with you good to catch up after a long time
0: yeah it's been a while yeah and we and this is the first time we're, we're talking actually we've we've kind of I think we've seen each other when you were over in Dublin at different locations but never actually spoke so for me it's been really interesting especially hearing from the like a different perspective than what we normally hear From it's usually talking to the designers but hearing someone who used to hook people up with design and is now I suppose working for a company who is their product users are designers so uh, yeah really really interesting thanks very much
2: for coming on No worries, it's awesome chatting to be about.